I, I want to share this with you ju just to start, this, this first slide. 22 minutes. 22 minutes. And the reason this number is significant is this is the average amount of time that someone will watch an online broadcast religious service. 22 minutes. And seeing as it is now 925, that means that like half of you have already stopped, right? <laughs> so you're not watching. The, the reason I'm putting this 22 minutes on it is the reason that people typically don't watch much longer than 22 minutes is because while they are online watching a religious service, they are also doing something that I pray you wouldn't do it in church, and that is they are multitasking. They might be, they turn it on and they go do to the dishes. Uh, they check their email on their phone while they're watching their computer screen. Uh, they'll talk to a family member. They'll make comments that otherwise they wouldn't have made if they were part of a worship service. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do if you're watching online. I'm going to ask you to make this a true worship service. Don't just be a consumer, be a giver. And what I mean by that is when we just sit down to watch a normal TV show, like if I'm sitting down watching This Is Us with my wife, I'm just sitting there watching the TV show, consuming the entertainment that NBC is giving me. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning that has a completely different mindset than what we usually have when we're watching TV or a computer screen or something like that. Today, I'm not going to ask you to consume. Today, I'm going to ask you to give. I'm going to ask you to give God's word your full attention this morning. So don't be thinking about other things. Don't be, uh, turn off the ringer on your phone. Don't be answering texts from other people. Give God, don't consume from God. Give God and his word your full attention for the next 40 minutes. I thought about doing a 22-minute sermonette devotional, and I just I couldn't make myself do it, Tony. I just couldn't make myself. It was like it cuts against my grain. I think it's somewhere in the book of Hezekiah, chapter 2, that you can't do a 22-minute sermon, So, uh, especially on Sunday morning. So here we go. This morning I am talking about uh, Jesus, the Bible, and social distancing. And I pray that a miracle happens, and I don't do part two and three of this sermon uh, but from everything that they're telling us, the leaders nationwide, worldwide, we're going to be in this for at least two more Sundays. So that's what we're going to focus on today. But let me say this, first of all, what we're going to do right now is unique to our lifetimes, but it's not unique to humankind. What we're going to do right now is unique to our times, but it's not unique to human time. Over the, sport, uh, over the span of human history. For thousands of years, societies all across the world have had to quarantine for health issues, and we're still here. The world kept spinning. In fact, a significant portion of the Torah, God's law, the Mosaic law, had to do with laws or has to do with laws of hygiene for two major purposes. One, to promote the overall health of a society, but two, also to, to prevent the spread of disease. It's very normal. I'm going to give you some examples of that. In Leviticus chapter 13, verse 4, a lot of times people look at the Bible, oh, that's all archaic, it's Old Testament time. No, we still do the same things today. The CDC uh, does the same things that the Moses disease control did back then. All right, it says, but if the spot is white, they look on somebody's skin, it's got a white spot in his body, and it appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, 
The priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. So if you've got like some kind of sore coming out on your hand, seven days, you go sit and self-quarantine and you just wait. Later in chapter 13, verse 46, it says the person uh, who's got this sore that's growing, okay, he shall remain unclean. And the word here for unclean is he's fighting something that is communicable to others. As long as he has this disease, he is unclean. Don't go around him. Don't touch him. You might get it. He shall live alone, self-quarantined. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. In fact, not only did he not, it wasn't just enough to shelter in place in your home. You had to go get a tent outside the village, far away from everybody else. And a lot of times people say, man, I've just heard people say over and over, man, the Old Testament is cruel, is really draconian, the way that they did things back then. But my suggestion is this, my friends, listen. One of the most loving things that this person with the disease could have done is to leave his home and his family and live out in a tent outside the village. This is how we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I don't want to risk infecting others with something I might be carrying. And so this is why the Bible tells us when it says to love your neighbors, you love yourself, one of the ways it says to do that is to self-quarantine when you're having symptoms. Let's see what's going out. Don't pass this around. This is what we hear our government leaders and our medical leaders uh, advising us now, is don't go out and interact any more than you have to. Hand-to-hand -hand contact within three to eight feet of each other, it's a bad idea, okay? Now, once you start healing, once you get healthier, of course you can come back in. Leviticus 14, the next chapter, starts talking about what do you do when people are healing. It says, he, is, he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe himself in water. John, you know, after this is over, you're going to have to shave your beard, all right? And uh, take a good bath, and then he should be clean. Like, get all that stuff, like, get those old infected clothes, get them washed, right? And after that, he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days, like, you can still come back and you're starting to interact, but don't live with your immediate family right now. You still need to live seven more days. After you show no more symptoms, take seven more days just to make sure it's all gone. And then if it showed that you're still healthy, then you can move on. Okay? Leviticus 15, next chapter. It talks about a woman who's hemorrhaging, whose who's cycle just never ends. She's always bleeding. It says, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days... Now, this is not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity. Now, what's talking about impurity, this has nothing to do, when it says impure here, it has nothing to do with her moral condition. It has nothing to do with the sin in her life. What it's saying is they are impure from a medical sense, that they could be passing along germs. And this, this is something that maybe is a little uncomfortable to talk about online, but it's, it's the discussion that we need to have if we're adults in church. Kids can even have this, okay? You, you might have to do a little biology or a anatomy lesson when you, when you do this. But uh, So I'm just warning parents, if you don't want to answer the questions, watch out on this one. But here's the thing. When a woman would have her period, okay, it, usually, you know, you've got seven days flow. You've got the heavy flow time, all right? Guys, like, never talk about this, okay? Uh, so you got the heavy flow time. Then it starts winning off. Listen, if... At the time of Moses, if you are a people living out in the middle of a desert where there's no sewer system, no, no way to clean up, uh, they, they don't have feminine hygiene products like what we have today, 
then what they would require to do is a lot of the ladies would have to go outside the camp away. Why? Because while they were in that time of heavy flow, they had to be able to get rid of the materials that were used to clean them during that time and wash them up far away from the camp because if you have blood laying around the camp, it's going to attract flies, and flies bring disease, and disease wipe out entire populations. And so what they would say is for the ladies during this heavy flow time, you would have to self-isolate. Now, just like in our society today, though, a very few women, a small percentage, but it applied to some, that heavy flow never would stop. Or a general flow or a light flow never stops. And that, when that was discovered by physicians, those women, it was unfortunate. It's very uncomfortable to even talking about. If you had this medical condition, you were expected to, because of the conditions in which they lived, you had to self-isolate. You had to stay away from everyone else. You might be able to come out just for a little bit, but you couldn't like have close interaction, especially in closed quarters and come into buildings where there were social gatherings. This is what Leviticus 15, 25 says, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. Again, this has nothing to do with someone's uh, moral aptitudes or, or abilities, nothing like that. It's total hygienic. And in the days of her, her, her impurity, she shall be unclean, which means she's to stay separated. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her bed as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, and in the uncleanness of her menstrual as in the cleanness of her menstrual impurity. But if she is clean of her discharge, in other words, if the flow stops, she shall count herself for herself seven days, just to make sure everything's okay, and after that, she shall be clean. But only after that. And until that time comes when the flow completely stops, she's going to have to self-isolate and not come into close contact with others. Now, my friends, listen, a lady who's like that, where there's this slow flow or this constant flow that's painful, I'm, a, I'm not a female, I don't understand menstrual cramps, but from just being around my wife and my daughter, it's a very uncomfortable time, especially for them. Um, it'd be difficult to live like that for any period of time, okay? But the next thought I want to give to you is this. I want to share with you a great miracle today of the Bible, and it absolutely applies to what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks and what we're seeing here in our nation and across the world, maybe for the next couple of months. And it's this idea of social distancing when you've got some kind of physical problem that may spread germs or disease to others. But here's what I want to share to you. Listen, at the heart of of every miracle in the Bible. Listen, I'm going to say it again. At the heart of every miracle in the Bible, for every piece of great news that we see in the Scripture, some miraculous healing in the Bible, listen, in order to be able to share that story, that good news, there first had to be some kind of terrible news. I'll say that again. Every time in the Bible where we see some kind of super miracle, it doesn't matter what miracle you're thinking of, whenever you see some kind of super miracle where everybody goes, oh, man, God's awesome, look at what God did there. 
it is always preceded by terrible news. And the greater the miracle, the worse the news that came in the first place. Your mother has a severe fever, had to come before she was healed of her fever and got up and started serving others. Your newborn baby was born blind until later as a young man, he is healed by Jesus. That terrible news was there for dozens of years before the greatest great miracle took place. Your brother is sick. Now your brother is dead. This terrible news had to precede the good news. My legs are sore. A month later, I'm having trouble walking. I can't move my legs. Now I'm paralyzed for life with no chance of getting better. In the Bible, listen, in most of our lives, at the heart of every miracle is some really bad news first. I want to share this with you as you watch what's going on in the world around us right now. Listen to what I'm about to say. All of us would say, if I asked you on the way in the room, would you like to see a true bona fide miracle sometime over the course of your life? All of us would say yes. If, we, if I would have asked people as they were coming in the room, if it was a normal Sunday and people were just flooding in like a normal week, and I would ask people coming in, would you like to see Jesus perform a miracle in your life? Everybody would say, yes, give me that miracle, give me that miracle. But listen, none of us want to be in a position where we actually need a miracle. And listen, to understand the full power of God and his miraculous nature, we must first experience life without that miraculous power. And nobody wants that. We don't want to be in a position where we need God. But sometimes what God does in his sovereign way, and I'm just telling you, he's doing it right now. We don't understand it. We step back and we question it. That's fine. I understand. But God is at work with what's going on with this coronavirus around the world. And he is going to show up in big and major ways. There are going to be stories that come out of this trouble that we're experiencing around the world where people see absolute miracles and the best of our humanity will have an opportunity to come out from our own sinful selves by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear story after story after story of sacrificial love from people who don't even know each other People doing what they have to do to make this situation better. God's love displayed to individuals. And yes, I'm even praying for supernatural miracles to take place. But in order for that to take place, we first must have the struggle. But we don't see that many miracles. And I'll tell you why. Because we want life to be smooth and easy. And we get grouchy. I don't know about you, but we get grouchy when our normal lives are compromised. And we deal with anxiety, stress, and anger when things don't go exactly the way that we like. But listen, my friends, it's in tough times such as these that God writes his best stories throughout history. He is going to take 
this virus and he's going to take this story and he's going to make it into something great. Don't forget that. No matter how bad things are or how bad they may get, God is going to make this into something great. Now, we're going to see a story in the Bible here where God takes something awful and he makes it great. It's a biblical story from Mark chapter 5 if you want to turn there. There's a woman that I'm estimating, I'll say a little later why I think she's in her mid, mid to late 20s. She likely received her fat first bad news during her teenage years, but the bad news kept coming. For an unending period of 12 years, she has had that slow flow that has ostracized her from her community. Lots of pain, lots of cramping, lots of discomfort. Now, this is what I want you to think about. Go back to 2008 and think about what your life was like back then. Just go back. What, what was your family like? What was going on in your life in 2008? George W. Bush was still in the White House. Man, that seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? This was a long time ago. 2008, this was before the, the market crashed and the, and the savings and loan scandals. Go back to what your life was like in 2008. Now imagine for the last 12 years, not just the last 12 days, imagine 12 years ago you got a medical diagnosis where you're both your religious and medical leaders said, you're going to have to self-isolate till this goes away. And from 2008 to 2020, you have been self-isolating by yourself, no one else doing it. It just affects you. And so you're missing out on a lot of things. She, during her teenagers, teenage years, she was never allowed to find a boyfriend or a fiance. This looks like a lifelong permanent condition. So therefore, because of her cycle, she's never going to be able to have children. And so much of a female's identity can be wrapped up in that. She's barred from attending any religious services, basically socially distancing while everyone else is going on about their normal lives. She's not able to have a husband and all the pleasures that go with the intimacy that comes with a life partner. She would have been known while she was an early teenager as a girl interacting with the rest of her girlfriends, but now she is known in the village as the girl who is unclean whose parents say, stay away from that girl, you might get what she has. Imagine if you're her parents or her grandparents and all the dreams and aspirations that everyone had for her life, all the dreams and aspirations that she had for her life, they're gone. Let me, let me just ask you a question while everyone else is keeping their distance from her and she's isolated. Let, let me ask you this. What would it be worth to you or to your family, if it was a family member, to find a doctor who could heal you if you had, weren't able to have any social interaction with anyone whatsoever, if you had to live completely away from your family, if your daughter had to live completely away from her family, how much would you spend to get her to, to doctors who might be able to heal her of her infirmity, her constant pain, her constant cramping, 
her isolation. How much would it be worth to you to actually be a part of church services again if you haven't been allowed to be a part for 12 years? How much would it be worth to you to be able to have a job along with everyone else in their society? How much would it be worth to you to have a spouse and the enjoyment that goes with that? How much would it be worth to you? I I mean, I, I know this because I counsel couples through it. Sometimes people are willing to spend tens of thousands of dollars just to be able to have a biological child of their own. This poor girl is not able to have any children whatsoever. She wouldn't even be able, uh, allowed to adopt if she wanted to. How much would it be worth to you financially to find healing in such a time as this? But she always had some kind of hope until she heard the words that we're going to look at in the scripture here in just a moment. But here's what they were, and these are the words none of us ever want to hear. I'm sorry, but as your physician, I've got to tell you, there's nothing else we can do. There's no cure for what you have. It's never going to get better. I'm afraid your bleeding is never going to go away. And now she's broke. She's got no more money because she spent it all on the physicians, all traveling everywhere she knew to find medical care, just trying to find someone who would give her an answer. And the woman of the story that we're about ready to look at, listen, she's at absolute rock bottom desperation. She's bankrupt. She has no hope at all. But then one day, she hears the word of a great physician and that he's coming to town. And she dares to hope once again that her life might be restored to normalcy. She hears the stories, as Matthew records in chapter 4, that this man named Jesus went throughout all Galilee, her whole region, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and watch this healing every disease there's no disease that's out there that he doesn't heal you think about all the diseases in the world every one of them that jesus encountered he healed them even the new viruses that no one had ever heard before jesus put it away and every affliction that the people had jesus healed them 100 healing rate he never failed luke chapter 4 records now when the sun was setting All those, watch this, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, watch, and he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. 100% healing rate. Now, this is what I want you to think about this morning. I mean, this, this kind of blows me away. Imagine if, now watch this, imagine if in Lexington, Kentucky tomorrow, Word got out that everyone that had the coronavirus, all they had to do is come to Lexington, Kentucky, and there's going to be a guy there that if he just touches them, the disease will go away. What will Lexington, Kentucky's hotels look like tonight? What will the traffic jams look like trying to come in from all different directions into Lexington, Kentucky, what will the entire state and the surrounding region, what will it look like everybody flooding into Lexington, Kentucky to just get a touch of the man 
who can heal every disease and affliction among us? What would it look like? What kind of life would he live? I don't envy that guy. That would be tough. That's what's going on here with Jesus in Mark chapter 5. And everywhere he went, the crowds would press in among him, the scriptures tell us, so greatly that it would almost crush him at times. And people were like, man, were they doing this because they wanted to hear the word of God? Listen, that was some of it. What most of it was they just wanted to get a touch so they could get healed. He was the Houston Cancer Center, MD Anderson. He was Cleveland Clinic. He was every Johns Hopkins. He was every world clinic rolled into one. Everybody from all over the world that got word is coming to just get a piece of Jesus. And so sometimes he would have to go out into a boat in the middle of a lake to get away from everyone just to rest, breathe, and get a nap. It was exhausting for him. And so one day he's after he's had his break, he gets off the boat near Capernaum, and as soon as he gets off the boat, words out, Jesus is here in town. Thank God they didn't have social media back then or the whole world would have gone crazy, right? So here he is getting off the boat, and there's a guy there that says, man, I've got a really sick daughter. I need you to come and see her. And Jesus says, okay. And so he's heading over to see this sick little girl, okay? And there was, in Mark chapter 5, verse 24, it says, a great crowd. This is a huge crowd. This word for great is like explosively big. And they're following Jesus and they're thronging about him. You can imagine the, just the madness that's going on, that the crowd can control that would be needed. This is a mob. This is almost like a riot. Everybody's like, I've got this cousin that needs heal. I've got this child. This is my one shot. Now, in the midst of all this crowd, here's the young lady that for the last 12 years has been socially ostracized and she's like, this is my shot. And in all the hoopla surrounding Jesus, she's thinking, maybe because there's such a frenzy here, I can slip in and nobody's going to see me and I won't get caught. Because technically, she could be stoned. She could be executed for being out among people and possibly passing on whatever disease she may have. The scripture tells us there's this woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had had, and she was no better, but instead, rather, she grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus. So she comes up behind him, watch, she's sneaking in, because she knows technically she's not allowed to do this. She came up behind him in the crowd, and she just reached out, and she touched, as Luke says, the hem of his garment. Just grasp the hold of it real quick. Just like, just grab it. Just want to get a little bit of attention. What was going through her mind? It was this. She was a rock bottom. This was her last chance at a normal life. She's thinking in her mind, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Now notice what she says here. She doesn't say this might happen for me. She had every bit of faith that this was her shot. If I can just touch his clothes, God will heal me. Now, as soon as she goes up and touches the edge of his garment, watch what the Bible says. Mark uses this word. He uses over and over again. Immediately, boom, just as soon as she just touches the edge of the garment, boom, some kind of sparks fly, and immediately the flow of blood dried up, 
and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. It just happens here immediately. Now watch what happens next. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Who touched me? Now, just imagine this. Everybody's just crowding around like, I mean, he's walking like this, trying to make, I mean, people are pushing people out of the way. He's trying to make his way out to see this, this guy's daughter who's in the process of passing away. He's trying to make his way through. I mean, there are a million people reaching out and touching him. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Everybody just touching. But yet, he stops in the midst of all this chaos, and he said, no, wait a minute, who touched me? Why? Watch. Watch. How did Jesus know someone touched him in a different way? Which says right here, he perceived in himself that power had gone out from him. And this is, this is what I want you to see about Jesus when he does miraculous things. He feels it. Man, that, that's, that's an odd thing because we don't go around like performing miracles, but it's like the power comes out of him. There's, you're drawing on something inside of Jesus, and he can feel when someone's drawing on that power inside of him. This all-powerful Jesus feels it. It's, he feels it. What's, I love how this is translated here. He perceives it in himself. It's coming from the inside out. Jesus feels it. This one I want you to see, listen, we don't serve an impersonal God who just proclaims someone to be healed, but he doesn't feel anything. We serve a Jesus that when he's at work, he is feeling it with us. If you're out there struggling with something this morning, you're praying for Jesus and he's ministering to you. Listen, he's not this distant, deistic God who just set the world a spinning and let it go, like winding it up like a clock and just letting it run. No, he didn't just flip on a power source and people that plug into it get it, but he doesn't know what's going on. Listen, he is feeling your pain with you and he is going through your emotions He's perceiving this in himself. He doesn't disassociate from us emotionally. That's amazing to me. I say this probably at least once a week to my kids while we're praying. It's still the most amazing miracle in the universe to me is that when my family and I sit down or lay down and pray to God every night that the creator of the universe is actually listening to our prayers. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus, he himself upholds the universe by the word of his power. This power that's going out from him, he's holding up the universe by that power, but yet when I say, dear Jesus at night, I've got his ear. To me, that's the greatest miracle of all. Why does he listen to me? I mean, I could call Donald Trump up today and give him my opinion on how we ought to be running this thing. He's not taking my call. But listen, he doesn't have all the power in the universe. But yet the one who does have all the power in the universe, he listens. And if I call him with my problems, he fills it with me. 
Man, it's just amazing to me as I look at it, how powerful our God is, that he's powerful enough to fill our emotions with us. Now watch this. And so this is what happens. Everybody's pushing. He's like, who touched me? Who touched me? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Like Jesus, everybody's touching you. There's nobody around you who hasn't touched you. This is a mob. And I love this next verse. The Greek gives a little more insight here than what the English language was. It says, he looked around. Now, this word for, uh, this Greek word for around, looking around, peri, is a word where we get peripheral or the perimeter, okay? So what Jesus does, watch this, man, this really brings the meaning. There's this huge crowd gathered around. They're all packed in or whatever. He stops. Everybody freezes. Who touched me? What do you think this woman is going to do in the moment when he says, who touched me? She knows what's coming. She knows she's going to get called out. She fades off, like, ooh, she gets in the back. And so what Jesus is doing, the omniscient, all-knowing God that he is, he starts looking around the perimeter, and he makes eye contact with a woman who had been healed. He's looking around the edges. He's not just looking at those people close. That's what he's saying. He's looking around at the edges to see who had done it. And I can just see him looking around, and then he makes the eye contact, and Jesus knows, and she knows, and she knows that Jesus knows. Watch what happens next. It says, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. She could be in big trouble for this. But at the same time, she knows she's been healed. She knows that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God. And she falls down before him just like all of us should at all times when you come into the presence of God. And she told him the whole truth. So all the crowd's there. Jesus hushes him down. She's falling there at his feet. Jesus, 12 years ago, I was on my period, didn't stop. I was in my teenage years. And since that time, I've been ostracized. And I've spent all my father and mother's money, all my siblings, everything they would give me, everything that I could ever earn, it's all been gone. I've been ostracized. No husband, no children. I've just been by myself. No one would talk to me. I've lost all my friends. The doctors told me I had no hope. But then I heard you were coming to town, Jesus. And I knew you were my only hope. And I just thought, I know I wasn't supposed to do it by the law, but I just thought if I could just touch the hem of your garment, that I would be healed. So yes, I did it. It was me. Now, before I go on to what Jesus said next, I want you, I want to explain to you a relationship I have with somebody very special to me. This is, if you go here every week, like I know I've got some friends in Tennessee watching today, um, but if you go here every week, you've heard me talk about my daughter, Jonna. Now, listen, I made it very clear to my wife early on that I wanted all boys. I wanted to have four sons, so between the five of us, we could have our own basketball team. That was my goal, to have the... The Fab Five, that was a big thing back, Michigan's Fab Five back in the early 90s, that's when Dee and I were married. I wanted to have four sons, 
and then I would be like the guy who just passes and set picks, all right, and be able to give them the ball, and we'd have the five, and we'd be able to play together and go play pickup games. That was the goal of my life. I just wanted sons. And then I had a firstborn son. I remember when I found out that Titus was born, I literally jumped up after when we were walking out of the hospital when we had the sonogram, and I kicked my heels together. I was that happy that it was a boy. Because I just knew I didn't want any girls. I didn't want the drama that went with that. I didn't want to deal with the PMS that goes with teenage girls. I just, I saw that coming. I was a youth pastor. I knew what that looked like in the lives of my youth group. I didn't want to live with it all the time. I wanted nothing to do with it at the time, back in the early 90s. But then in the mid-90s, we went to another sonogram, and it was a little girl. And I got to be honest, when they first said it, I was disappointed. It's sad. Called me chauvinist. I probably was. But I remember the day that she was born, literally right after she came out of the womb, she went, meh. So I uh, gave her the middle name, Rochelle, which means little lamb. And she became the apple of my eye and still is to this day. This is a picture of me and Jonna on the Sea of Galilee. That was special just being there, just me and her. Spending that time in the Holy Land. Here's a picture of Jonna when she was a little girl. He had these flowers that were picked, and she was so happy with those and wanted a picture with her daddy with her and her flowers. Uh, this, is, this will forever be, this picture we have here, one of my favorites. It's a Christmas time. She's just rubbing my hair. Just, we looked at each other like that all the time. Um, I thank God to this day that he gave me a little girl. I gave her a little song that I sang to her on the day she was born. God just broke my heart for her, and I just cried like a baby. I didn't cry with any of my sons, but I just cried like a baby when they laid that little girl on the, on the table there and weighed her. And, uh, man, let me tell you, the reason I'm sharing this with you is there's a special love. John knows this. He's got three boys and then had a little girl. Tony's got daughters. Feels just different with you and Hannah than it is the twins, isn't it? And there's just something special about a love between a father and his daughter. And um, in this next verse, I want you to see a word that Jesus uses. It's a common word. And he says to this girl who's sitting there crying, apologizing because she broke the rules to come and touch him. Jesus says to her, daughter. Now, you wouldn't use this unless it was younger than you. And Jesus is only about 31, 32 at the time. That's why I'm thinking she's in her mid to late 20s at the oldest. He says, daughter. And you know what? This is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus ever refers to someone as his daughter? I mean, Jesus comes into contact with people all the time. Jesus, even when he was referring to his own mother, he doesn't call her mother, he calls her woman. But for this young lady, Jesus reaches down and he picks her up and he calls her daughter. Little girl, get up. Your faith has made you well. Now do you go in peace 
and be healed of your disease. Now, this is a beautiful, intimate moment, but I want you to see what Jesus is doing here, and we can very, very easily miss this. Watch. Jesus, when he felt the power go out of himself, he knew at that moment, and the young lady knew at that moment, that she was healed. And Jesus was making his way to a, to a man's house whose daughter was literally in the process of dying. Jesus, in their minds, should have been in a hurry to get to this house. But over here, this girl just touches his garments. She's healed. He knows it. She knows it. And Jesus just kind of could have just kept right on going. But she needed more. Watch this. Jesus stopped when the power went out from him because he knew that this young lady who's been suffering from social distancing for the last 12 years, he knew she needed more healing than physical healing. Because in the Bible times, in the Mosaic law, in order for someone to be brought back into society, someone in authority, in Jewish authority, had to proclaim that person clean socially so they could interact once again with everyone in the neighborhood. They would have to go and show themselves to priests or to some leader to prove to themselves that they were healed and they were no longer carrying any disease. And so what Jesus is doing here is not just addressing the physical needs of the young lady, he's addressing her social needs because she could have gone back to her room and said, hey, I've been healed, I'm okay now, and all the doctors in town would have said, no, you're not healed. This is something that's going to last the rest of your life. But Jesus, the Ph.D. rabbi of his time that people socially recognized he was a Ph.D. when they called him rabbi, Jesus says to her, for all the crowds, everybody in town to hear, he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He wasn't saying it for her benefit. She already knew. He was saying it for the benefit of all those who could hear. Do you understand what I'm saying? What he is signaling is not just to her, but to everyone else. She's back in. Include her once again. Don't social distance yourself from her anymore. So I want to give you four quick thoughts this morning on how to apply the principles of what Christ did here. Four thoughts on relationships in a time of social distancing. Jesus knew that she needed more than just physical healing. And listen, my friends, during this time, you need more than to just stay safe physically. Listen, Olan, you need to stay safe socially and emotionally and spiritually. And there's certain things we need to do to stay safe that way. You're hearing from everybody in the world what to do to protect yourself physically. What I'm about to share with you is what you need to do to protect yourself socially, emotionally, and spiritually. Okay, you ready for this? Number one, I got to ask you this. Everybody, this is the most important question I'm going to ask. Have you during this time socially distanced yourself from Jesus? He's always there reaching out for you. But my question is, during this time, are you reaching out for him? Don't emotionally separate from your faith during this time. And there may be some watching online today. I don't know why you turned in today versus other days. Maybe you're looking for hope. Listen, there is hope. And his name is Jesus. 
And he's healed to, here to heal far more than just some physical illness that's going around the world today. He is here to heal hearts, to change lives, to grant forgiveness, and to make us well in every area of life. So I'm going to ask you this this morning. If you don't know Jesus personally, the most important relationship you need to have during this time is with the God who created you. And the way you have that relationship is you just ask. There's never been anyone who has sincerely come to Christ to recognize who he is as God and Lord of the universe and he rejects them. So if you're willing this morning to make him the Lord of your life, to bring him in as the all-powerful leader, but also something else I'm about to share next, as your Savior, I ask you to do that this morning, and that leads me to point number two, is that God calls us daughters and sons, not employees and servants. And this is something that I struggle with because I constantly look at myself only as how might I serve God today? What can I do to make Jesus happy today? Like I'm his employee. But Jesus doesn't call us employees and just servants. Jesus calls us daughters and sons. We've been adopted into the family of God. Now, because we are all daughters and sons of the Most High High God, what does that make all of us? Brothers and sisters, right? Right? We're all brothers and sisters because God calls all of us who believe in his son, daughters and sons. And so I want to say this to all, everyone that's listening in every way that I can, just because we disengage physically during this time doesn't mean we must disengage relationally during this time. We've got to figure this out. Listen, I want to say this. The most dangerous thing about this coronavirus is not what might happen in the physical, it's what might happen in the social and emotional makeup of our nation from this point forward. We're going to come through this, but much like, this is what people are talking about, much like travel changed on 9-11, social relationships are going to change after this, this disease that has plagued our world. And this is, I just think we're in a dangerous time as a world is because we're going to start disengaging physically from people. It could lead to disengaging relationally from people. And my friends, that is very dangerous. So I want to share this with you. Listen, stay engaged. Don't withdraw. And I'm not just saying this for yourself. I'm saying it for not just for your sake, but for the sake of others. Be intentional, listen, about calling extended family members that you don't talk to that often. Be intentional about that. Be very intentional about staying connected with your small groups. Now, if you're super introvert, and this is like a super holiday for you, and you don't have to interact with people, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. Listen, other people need your interaction. Your small group still needs your input, even if you don't feel like you need social input but I'm here to tell you, you do. But other people need you as well. So even if you won't do it for your own emotional and social well-being, do it for the social well-being of others. 
There is a great spiritual and social sickness that can flow out of this that may never go away if we're not intentional about engaging relationally with those whom we love. Why? Because we are meant to live in community. And right now, we're not getting very much of that. Jesus didn't just take care of the physical. That leads to my final point today, is like Jesus, we must re-engage those who have disengaged. We must re-engage those who have disengaged. Let, let me just ask you this. Who do you know, even before this virus hit, who do you know who has disengaged from the church family? Who used to come four out of four weeks, then slip to three out of four, then two out of four, and now you just see them every once in a while. I want you to be intentional about thinking during this time, this extra time you have, who is someone I haven't seen at church in a while? Who is someone I haven't seen at small group in a while? And write down their name and call them and say, you know what, I'm sorry I haven't reached out to you before. I haven't known, maybe you've been in church every week, maybe you're going to a different service than I am, but I wanna reach out to you right now and say this, I still care about you, and I'd like to see you around. What's going on in your life? Then I'll share with you what's going on in mine. But I just want to encourage you, the most important relationship you can have is with Jesus. And if you've distanced from him, re-engage with Jesus. Just remember during this time that we're not emotionally separated from God. We're still his sons and daughters. Nothing could ever change that. Continue to engage with, with others. Don't withdraw. You're going to be more intentional about doing that. And then finally, like Jesus, let's all re-engage others who maybe have disengaged from us.